0: What are we waiting for? It is out of here! He's in, baby! We are going through Two years, high school football. Varsity. We're playing with some jam in here. Let's go.
1: Gets a block! Are you kidding? Deshaun Jackson still not in and now in for the touchdown though. Flags.
2: Two, one. What's going on guys? Got another edition of Connor Mark Show alongside Mark Rogers. I'm Connor Gabe. We've got a special guest, Phillies, um, social media intern, Graham Foley. We've had him on the show before, but he's making a, another appearance. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. I mean, I keep saying I'm doing well just naturally, but really I'm just in a cycle of pain.
2: It's this and- constant pain in the city. It just never gets any better. <laughs>
1: It's, it's hard to be a Philadelphia sports fan right now.
2: It really is hard. We're going over basically the Phillies, disappointing end of the season. Obviously, they missed the playoffs uh, for the ninth straight season. Also, the Eagles, who uh, did not win or lose Sunday, they tied the <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals, and now are 0-2-1 on the season. But first, uh, how are you doing? And I'll touch, ask you about this internship. Obviously, the last time we talked, uh, it, was probably, it seemed like it was probably a couple weeks before this pandemic hit. So you're getting ready for the internship, and then the Phillies took, a, obviously, a it seemed like a couple month hiatus as the MLB tried to figure out the situation Uh, with the coronavirus. They came back, it was a half a season. So what was it like being with the Phillies throughout the year and uh, interning, you know, with the team?
1: Yeah, it was kind of a roller coaster. I think on the surface I was pretty disappointed that I wasn't in the ballpark every day, meeting the players, being in the locker room, being on the field and stuff like I was expecting to, but uh, in the end it was a really cool experience and uh, it was really like, I guess, challenging professionally to have to, totally adapt everything I was supposed to do and um, and just kind of learn on the fly. So we definitely learned a lot from it, even if it wasn't what I expected. Uh, but yeah, when we talked last, that was like mid-March um, and we were still business as usual getting ready. The spring training was already happening. I, w- I wasn't I was going to go down for that, but I was doing some coverage back in Philadelphia in the office and then they sent everybody home um, really the next week and we haven't been back in the office since at all. And uh, so then... We only, with the MLB, they basically structured it with a tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one is just the, uh, the team and the, and the general manager, those guys. Tier two was allowed field access, um, and then they had to get tested every day. And then tier three people could be in the ballpark, but they couldn't go in the field, they couldn't go by the dugout. They're pretty restricted with where you were. So we only had one person in our social team that was tier two that could be on the field doing content and that was my boss megan so i didn't get to do any of the social stuff that i expected to do and uh during the quarantine period we were just trying to come up with stuff that'd be interesting when there was no baseball and people always in our mentions like you know bring back the game whatever but you know we couldn't do anything about it and uh so it was just a lot of adapting trying to figure out what would work uh while we had no baseball and then uh, when baseball came back still working from home so it'd be live tweeting from home working on Instagram. I did a lot with Philly Fanatics Instagram, which is fun. So I got to go into the ballpark a couple times and like ride around the Fanatics ATV and record stuff from his point of view. So it ended up being pretty fun. Still, I had all these great moments, but just a weird, weird season and mostly all from home.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Graham, with you touching touched on everything, obviously with the season being, you know, turned around, um, just due to this pandemic and, and me not being, um, you know, at the last interview first, just want to say again, appreciate you coming on and, and appreciate your time. but you know not not trying to grill you too much on the job here and make it like an interview, but you know, you know, maybe tell the audience a little bit like what you were doing on a day-to-day basis and how maybe, What your expectations, again, you may have touched on this a little, but before going in and then kind of how your duties changed with the coronavirus and and with all the restrictions put into place.
1: Yeah, um, as a member, I'm I'm technically a marketing and new media associate is what my official title is. But uh, marketing and new media is just the department that has advertising, then it has social media. So I was really just on the social media team. Um, so there's some kind of you know, backend intern stuff of getting analytics for our different sponsored posts and keeping a calendar of which giant home run replay we had to do and you know, stuff like that. Uh, but then there's going to be a lot of fun stuff where we have a team of four people and we're going to rotate of um, someone live tweeting from the press box every game, someone, uh, one or two people on the field doing what we call live content, which is anything for the Instagram story or any kind of horizontal videos that we're going to put on Twitter or Facebook, if it's something like that. Uh, keeping up with the sponsored posts um, and just trying to figure out fun stuff that kind of had to do with the team, whether it was a video idea or a graphic idea or coming up with a copy for something. Um, but yeah, once the pandemic hit and we were all kind of at home, you know, there was still once in a while you could think of a funny tweet to do or something that had to do with the pandemic. Or we came up with um, different games we put out every Sunday where people could do crosswords that were Phillies themed and we put Geico sponsoring on that. And um, little things like that we had to come up with. Uh, just about day to day. So we basically a day to day would just be you know handling the the sponsorship stuff, the day to day boring stuff, and then just kind of getting together, talking about ideas, what we can do, what we can't do, um, how we just diff- approach different things. And then from there, I really did have to get creative of what kind of content I could bring to be different than my three coworkers who've been doing social media for longer than I have. So with a journalism background, I was able to take our blog that we have um, through the Phillies and kind of expand that. So it was writing stories on the front office, writing stories about, you know, the top five mustaches in Phillies history because Reese Hoskins grew a mustache and just little things like that that people seem to like. Um, And then I also started a a podcast too called the um, Phillies Throwbacks Podcast where I got to interview a bunch of players from the 1980 Phillies and uh, basically made like an audio documentary of the 1980 season, which was really time consuming, really difficult, big project that I kind of took all on my own, but it was really rewarding and fun. And so that spent... That took up a lot of time during my day when I didn't have a lot to do until the season came back. And when the season came back, it's a lot of just, you know, posting the lineup, um, posting all the sponsorship stuff, getting photos from whoever's the photog at the game and coming up with captions and uh, just kind of going throughout the game and making sure everything's updated and everything's funny and whatnot. Uh, And the tough part, too, is kind of measuring the mood of the fan base, because sometimes, you know, they want you to hammer home nine out of ten wins and everything's easy. And then, you know, you lose a doubleheader to the Nationals with the playoffs on the line, and nobody wants to hear from you. So it's tough. I wrote a whole playoff script for our playoff hype video, which never got to see the light of day that Larry Anderson would have narrated. And I had so much fun with that, but that's not going to be anywhere. So it really – it's fun because it, the job really changes every day. and There's a little bit of different stuff to do, but it's all about just kind of getting together with the team and coming up with different ideas.
2: Yeah, what is want to ask about the 1980s project. Um, and I saw that when you posted on Facebook. I had a chance to look at it. You did a really good job. Really, I know what we grew up on, obviously, was the 08 team and how, you know, that dominant run was from, obviously, 07 to 2011, and and looking at all those guys. We, obviously, weren't born in 1988, really didn't have an idea to watch that team live. Was it like, kind of, you know, interviewing those guys and and talking about their experiences and really, you know, that whole experience of putting that project together and uh, and sharing it with, you know, the Philly fans?
1: Yeah, it was really cool and I, I you know, you said it too like we grew up at that 08 team and you know, that run from 07 to 11, like those are the teams that I know without having to look anything up because, you know, we lived it and that was everything back then to us. So the 80 team I didn't know that much about. And the the idea came around where I just thought there's so many resources. The Phillies are really good at keeping their alumni close and having good relationships with them that there's so many so many stories to tell if I could just talk to these people. So I wanted to come up with some kind of thing. I didn't know what the story would be, and then my boss Megan mentioned, "Well, it's the 40th anniversary of the 1980 team, and they weren't going to have their big reunion that they that they wanted." So this was kind of an opportunity to do something for them, and so then I really had to just start doing some research because you know the you know the basic things that like Mike Schmidt was the MVP and Tug McGraw got the final out and uh, they beat the Royals, but. You know, I didn't realize just how crazy that whole run was and that, you know, the, the manager blew up on them in August and Ray Dinger said, you know, put the tombstone on the season and there were six games out of first place and they clinched on the last day of the season. They, they matched up for three games against the one team that they had to beat. And then the, uh, the Astros series, that four of the five games went to extra innings and it took a, a Pete Rose, uh, when the Phillies were down to their last strike, coming home and slamming Bruce Bochy at the plate to put it, go to game five. And then a rookie who came up in September – started game five. And it was just all this crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, it was, it took a lot of research to figure out what I needed to know about that team. Um, cause I didn't want to, you know, talk to a guy like Mike Schmidt and just not know what I was talking about and have him kind of see right through that. Um, so that was really difficult, but it was really cool learning about them. And then getting to talk to them was insane. I would always have my mom, and my dad kind of over my shoulder seeing who I was talking to because those are their heroes from when they were little. So that was, just, it was just really, really fun. And then it was a lot of work kind of splicing it together, but it was really cool to see it come all together.
0: Yeah. And, and real quick, Graham, for, you know, all of that stuff you put together, where would be a, a possible place that our audience could go and, and check that out?
1: Yeah, really, wherever you find your podcast. You can go to phillies.com slash podcast to see the uh, description of it and then links to the uh, different sites. But it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, which is what I really use the most often. Um, it it kind of gets grouped together with the other Phillies podcasts. So if you just look up Phillies Podcasts or – backstage with Burgoyne and Bridge is the big one um it's all kind of with that uh but phillies.com slash podcast it'll show all of them appreciate all the-
0: right yeah <laughs> no problem per. yeah we want people to definitely check it out and, and I know I'll check it out personally you know all that's great about the Phillies and then we touched on the 80s where obviously they were very strong in, in franchise history and then the really strong run in 07 to 11 and, and maybe a few years before that they looked pretty well but Fortunately, we have to shift to the bad part, and, and that bad part obviously came past nine years, no playoff appearances, and again this year. Had to just go two and six in the last eight games and, and couldn't even do that, went one and seven and, and missed the playoffs by one game. So kind of diving into this season and, and taking a look, and, you know, Graham, if you've been around the team the entire 60-game season, um, you know, rather than really what's wrong with this team, because I think, you know, a toddler could see what's wrong with this baseball team, where are some strengths, or, or where are some places that you think the Phillies can get a little more um, stronger in other than the bullpen?
1: Yeah, I mean, other than the bullpen, I mean, the problem, I think, was that there just wasn't a lot of consistency across the board. And when you look at this lineup, uh, they had the ability to put up a crooked number, and they would do that a lot. Um, you know, they had such great power hitters on this team. And then you have a guy like Alec Bowman came up and just got on base every time, which is something that they really missed. Uh but, it, you know, when it mattered against this really good raised bullpen or against even the Nationals in that doubleheader, it's just the, the hits wouldn't come when they needed to. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to look at this team and kind of just put something together that's going to hit consistently. But I think just finding consistent offense is the most important part. And when you might potentially lose DD Gregorius this offseason and, you know, and uh it's, it's going to be tough. And the fact that they have to sign JT Romito, too, that, that's a big chunk of your offense that – um, you know, who knows what it's going to look like if those pieces aren't back. Uh, so it, I, I think that they had the ability to become a really good team because of their offense. They led in 48 of the first 58 games. Um, uh, but I think there are so many squandered opportunities, like having the bases loaded with one out and the top of the, um, of the eighth inning extra innings in the second game of that doubleheader against the nationals. If they win that game, they're in the playoffs and instead they couldn't hold the lead and you can blame the bullpen, but you know, you got it. You got to hit when the ducks are on the pond. Um, so I think, you know, the, the bullpen is obviously the bigger issue, uh, but they need more consistency with the bats. And uh, it, it's got to come through next season with uh, guys like Scott Kingery or Roman Quinn who, or Adam Hazley who you're not expecting a lot from. You need that more consistently. They don't need to hit home runs. They just have to get on base, and I'd like to see more of that.
2: Yeah, I want to ask about JT Romuto. Obviously, you say you're with social media, and obviously, fans are giving you their opinion a lot. Yeah. And obviously, the sign JT probably is the most common one you get. But oh yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so, so he's probably number one. But obviously, um, he's set to be a free agent. He's probably set to you know break the you know catcher record. Obviously, on how much money he's due, but he's gonna probably set the you know you know the new record. Um, do you see him coming back, or is there a scenario where? Obviously, they gave up a lot for him. They gave up Sixto Sanchez, who's now in Miami. He was looking really good and some other players and prospects. Um, do you see him back with Philadelphia next year, or do you think there's a chance that he's, he walks?
1: I think it's really hard to make a prediction right now, but, I mean, I I can't say confidently one way or the other. I know that there's going to be plenty of teams that are going to be after him, but I obviously know the Phillies are going to be after him, too, because, like you said, they gave up a lot. It's really hard to watch Sixto Sanchez really pitch well in Miami and and know that you know the person that you got for him is – potentially not going to be here next year. So there's definitely going to be an effort to keep him, uh, but it's really just up to JT. I mean, the good thing is he does have a lot of great relationships with the guys in this team, especially with Bryce Harper, who just yesterday was saying that he needs to be signed. JT's got to be signed. And, you know, if he believes in the future of this franchise, which, you know, I I think it it looks so bad right now, but there's so many good pieces in in place that it, it shouldn't take that much more to become a playoff team. If he can see that vision, then, you know, I can totally see him staying, even if it's for discounted. But I really have no inside knowledge. I never really got to talk to him about stuff like that. and um, So, really, I have no gauge on what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, the Phillies are definitely going to try their best to keep him because they know they have to.
0: Uh, obviously, you know, JT and we'll stay kind of on a subject, of JT, as well as DD and, and some other names that are um, up for grabs, if you will, of, of coming back to the Phillies you know, regarding the guys that make these decisions and, and you know, unfortunately the guy that we thought was going to be out today wasn't out because he doesn't make great decisions. Do you think Klintak and McFale will make it through this off season and be back next year? Um, or do you see one of one of two or both departing this off season?
1: And that's another thing too. I, I really don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because you know, the Phillies do have a very much of a family atmosphere and I could see that when I was in the office for just a few weeks. And so, they really care about the employees they have. And it's it, it's so simple to just kind of say, fire this person, fire that person. And especially when, um, you know, Gabe Kapker gets fired after two seasons and, you know, you know he kind of took the brunt of a disappointing team and now you're having the same disappointments that, you know, it, it logically looks like someone else would have to take the blame. But I know they're going to think long and hard about this. It's not going to be anything that's going to happen really quickly. Um, but I really just don't have any idea if they're going to maybe just want to stick with the people they have, that they care about and see what happens or if they really need to make a change because they decide enough is enough. But yeah, th- there's really no way to kind of see what they're thinking. And you can hear conflicting reports. Um, you know, There's a report the other day that he, you know, he was gone. There's a report today that he's, he's staying and I really don't know either. Um, but I know they're going to think a lot about it because they don't make really decisions like this very quickly.
2: What do you think is the biggest need for this team? I think if you look at the lineup uh, on paper, I think it's pretty impressive. Obviously, DD came, came in the season. It was pretty impressive. Um, Alex Segura, Bryce, and now Bombs in there. And obviously, they miss Hoskins a lot. He missed some time at the end of the season. And you can tell the lineup was really missing, you know, his uh, him in that, you know, second spot. Uh, I know that we mentioned JT. He's probably going to, you know, bringing a lot of money yearly if they bring them back in and that now I don't know how that's going to work with the bullpen with trying to get, you know, bring other free agents in and not have a lot of money available. But what do you think is the biggest need for this, this team if they really want to go back to the playoffs after missing it for the past nine years?
1: And the toughest part too is that the you know the, the team lost a lot of money this year, just like any MLB team. So if you're spending a lot of money on JT, you know how much money do you really have? You know you never you never, you never really think an MLB team has to worry about finances because in the end they just have so much money. But at least a team like Philadelphia, maybe That's not the Rays the A's, but. They they did lose a lot of money this year and it's going to be tough so I mean it's got to go back to the bullpen though and it can't be you know it it seems like at the at the deadline there's lots of short-term solutions that have been done by the Phillies to try to you know get a playoff push and this year it just didn't work out and they were like phenomenal like phenomenally bad about you know how how badly they worked out it was like guys like Hale and Brogdon or not Brogdon and Workman who came in who had good records with other teams and then suddenly just kind of fell apart Um, It was just crazy. So you kind of just need homegrown talent from this bullpen. It doesn't look like there's a lot there. So, you know, I don't know what the plan is. Um, If, you know, if it's finding some really good free agents, if it's hoping David Robertson um, and guys like that come back, uh, Saranthan Dominguez, hoping he comes back healthy. Um, If you get guys like that, you do have a few pieces in place. You can have a decent bullpen to work with. Um, but that's got to be the focus this offseason. I think they, they really do have a decent hitting lineup, and it maybe it's more fundamentals and coaching with the new coaching staff to get them to be more consistent and to hope that Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley and um, you know even Mickey Moniak, if he's staying in the, in the major leagues, who knows about him, hoping they, those guys can stay consistent. I think that's more of a coaching side thing, whereas from the GM's office, it's got to be the bullpen building from the ground up because you know it, it's got to look very different next year than it looked this year.
0: Yeah, and those are some you know crazy names that you just threw out there that were I think absent the entire season in, in David Robertson, which was a big uh, free agent trade from the Yankees uh, two seasons ago, and then Sir Anthony, who I'm pretty sure had Tommy John. So uh, again, they're going to be two vital pieces to the bullpen as you touched on, but another vital piece and and you know probably the most important piece to this Phillies team, um, Bryce Harper. What do you what do you think of the season this year? Uh, Do you think he looked a little better in in some pitch selection this year? Do you think he looked a little more consistent? Um, You know, real quick, I'll I'll give my two cents. I think he looked wildly inconsistent this year, maybe the 60 game season. Um, I thought Hoskins looked a little bit better after that dismal second half of of the season last year, batting 150. So what do you think those guys really looked like this year? And and do you really think that's going to carry the next year? And, And do you think, um these guys have some stuff
1: to work on in the game yeah i think inconsistent really is the word and you know to a lesser extent with reese Hoskins, because especially when the phillies needed him he really did seem to come up more often um later in the 60 game season than we would have liked but he definitely had great moments where he was starting to drive drive the ball to opposite field that he wasn't doing earlier in, in, in his career and in the season um and he was getting better defensively that you know you want to see that for a whole season and the fact that you can't see that in a whole six game season is pretty disappointing uh but it, at least he showed flashes of of learning and adapting and getting better um and with bryce it's it, it it was kind of frustrating because he had stretches like you know the other night having two home runs that were mammoth home runs um you know early in the season he was on fire he looked like a potential mvp candidate um and then having a really long stretch where he wasn't hitting and mind you, when, they, when he was not having his best uh, time at the plate, the Phillies still won nine out of 10 games. Like, you know, he, he said we need to win that out of 10, then he stopped hitting. And then the team still won nine out of 10 at that moment in the season. It, I thought it showed that, you know, this team can win, even if a guy is down, which, you know, the 2018, 2019 teams could not, um, but it all kind of fell apart at the end. So it's, it's frustrating to see the inconsistency, but I think what helps him, what could potentially help Reese is that, you know, it looks like the the designated hitter is here to stay and who knows if that's actually going to happen or not, but, I was always a baseball purist who never really wanted it. And then I kind of progressively was like, all right, this season makes sense. I kind of love it. And maybe that's just bias because of it works out well for this team. But when you have a guy like Bryce or Reese, who's just in a slump, sometimes it helps to just take them out of the field and let them focus just on hitting. And you saw that a few times down the stretch with Bryce where he really started hitting more when he was in the DH spot. Um, so I think that that can kind of aid them that, you know, if, if they're hitting their cold periods at different times, put them in DH, figure it out. Um, but you definitely need to see more consistency going going forward from both of them because they are massive pieces of this team's future.
2: Yeah, the DH is, uh, you know, a pretty good thing. Obviously, for Alec Baum as well, who we came up this year, uh, he at 338. He's going to be in running for the NL Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked at who else is in the running as well, but I know there's the relief pitcher, Milwaukee, who's put up amazing numbers, and that's like that guy, in San, I think, in San Diego.
1: There's a Dodgers pitcher, I'm forgetting his name now, too, but –
2: yeah, and there's, there's a bunch of guys. Obviously, there's a lot, but he put he batted 338 this year, and it's pretty impressive for a guy who didn't even play Triple A ball. Come right up and step into this lineup and hit the way that he hit. What do you expect for him next year, and what kind of role do you have, you know, see him in with this lineup next to like Bryce and Reese, and mm-hmm. obviously hopefully JT, hopefully JT Barmito as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hope that he can be a number two or number three hitter that can kind of consistently get on base and just get to the cleanup hitter to start a game. And I think the one concern in his game is his defense at third, uh, which has definitely improved since the beginning. I think he's making strides there and having an entire offseason of working with major league coaches to kind of get that better, hopefully, Uh, get him to be an everyday starting third baseman and then, you know, first baseman if you need it and DH if you need it. Um, But his hitting has been remarkable. I mean, he he led all hitters in in hits uh, and just base hits in September, which is just incredible for a rookie who's never seen major league pitching before. Um, So I I don't want to put too much pressure on him. I think the problem with Reese Hoskins is that he had such a great rookie year when he came up late in uh, the 2017 season and then coming in 2018, you know, it just didn't amount to that success. Uh, so you hope he doesn't have to deal with the the burden of really trying to carry this team hitting wise, but he was carrying this team for a lot of this year and that should give him confidence. So I, I totally hope he can match that level and he can be an everyday third baseman who can field well enough. He definitely made some good plays and he has a great arm. Uh, his range just has to be kind of worked on His just finesse of cleanly fielding a ball has to we worked on. Um, but if he can hit even just like, 300 that's that's something that no other player in this team was really doing and that serves a huge purpose for a team that's more about hitting home runs it's good to have someone that can just get on base regularly
0: yeah and I totally agree with with everything you just said there I think Boehm really um, you know if you will was was on the job training uh, coming up here with no minor leagues and uh, as Connor pointed out, no AAA, and, and kind of came, hit the ground running. I mean, this team was they got swamped in such as Harper and, and Hodgkins at different times, and he was just hitting. Um, you know, Bone was a huge piece. Who else do you think from this Phillies team this year uh, really impressed you as, as a key piece uh, to offense and defense?
1: Well, I mean, I think at times the best player on you know, both sides of the, of the field was really JT Bermuto and you hope he, they can re-sign him because – Uh, He was just remarkable behind the plate once again and um, and really picked up the offense when they needed it. And I think to a lesser extent, I, I was just very, you know, I don't think he really carried the team, but I think it was a really good surprise to see how well Andrew Knapp did. Because he was at, at, at points was in the Phillies most consistent hitter. It wasn't playing every day. He would come up and just quietly get, you know, a couple hits per game and he's not going to hit home runs, um, but he's been getting on base a lot. And that's something that, you know, he would just be a strikeout machine all the time. And it was really frustrating. Um, but he played really, really well this year And at, at times he'd be making throws to second base to throw out a runner. And us on Philly's Twitter, would get a bunch of, you know, at sign JT sign JT. And we're like, that wasn't JT. That was Andrew Knapp. Um, and then, you know, they delete their tweets, and that was hilarious. So I was glad to see Andrew Knapp do well. Um, I think JT Bermuto was really, really good. But I also think Didi Gregorius was someone that really filled a big need. Um, at shortstop, they hadn't had a shortstop that was that reliable defensively, I think, really, since Jimmy Rollins. Um, and he came up clutch a lot, you know, a couple grand slams and just home runs in big games. And, you know, he could get on base pretty regularly. And I think it's going to be tough that it was a one-year deal. I think it made sense at the time, but now he's really going to get paid. And that's tough when you have to sign JT, when you have to restructure this bullpen. But if they can get him back, I think he's a really big piece of what they need going forward.
2: All right, let's get into the Eagles now, because it doesn't get any more happier than this. Obviously, uh, they tied the Bengals yesterday. Um, obviously, and Can I just
1: interrupt you right here? Why are there ties in the NFL?
2: I don't know. They
1: should. I've said this for years, but... They should the college, well, go ahead. Yeah,
2: I was about to say they should probably adapt a college football rule.
1: The college football way of overtime is the only way of overtime, and you don't need to start 30. at twenty-five. You don't need to start at twenty-five in the NFL, where guys are already going to make that field. We'll start at the forty. Start at the fifty. Yes, yeah, so um, I'm
2: down for
1: that. Yeah, and it, you could even kick off, but just have it structured that you know one team has a shot, and then the other team has a shot, and if they don't get it, then you go to the next one, and that's the end of it. And it, there's no time clock. There's none of that it's just eventually and maybe make them go for two points every time instead of at the third overtime like in college so it goes a little faster but anyway go ahead
2: no i know that's a good point because i'm sitting here and like reacting i'm like i think i rather would have won or lost this game than tie because then you walk away it's like now you don't have any momentum with the win Mm -hmm. but you also don't have anything with the loss because obviously i'm not in the point where i want to be tanking at this point with the right but like me neither for, for standing purposes, that does benefit more than its ties. So. It
1: does. They, they gain ground on every team in the NFC yesterday.
2: <laughs> yeah, which is just remarkable. Obviously, this division is just a whopping, you know, you know, heap of garbage. But I'll just get into this this zero 2 one start. Uh, Wentz, obviously, I've been a huge fan of him for a while. I did not expect this type of season from him. Obviously, I had to get six interceptions in the first three games, which is Usually he fumbles the ball a lot, didn't throw a lot of picks, and, and he's already almost to seven, which he had last year. So, what do you make of this whole start of this season? I know you you interned with them in twenty eighteen to so give an idea of what this organization's like. So, what what do you make of this whole messy of start? And do you see them being able to turn it around with this with the schedule starting to heat up?
1: I think the only reason I have any faith they can turn it around is just because of how bad this NFC East is right now. I mean, if if there is a winning team in this division, and now you have to face the Forty Nine ers and the Ravens and the Steelers eventually. Um, I really wouldn't have any faith that they could turn it around because those are going to be extremely hard games to win. If you can't beat the Bengals, how can you, you know, how can you beat anybody? Um, you know, but they they are banged up and, and I, I keep wanting to make excuses, but I'm just I'm losing faith because it, it seems like they just have this pattern of starting slow, starting injured and then finding a way to have a hot uh, December and get into the playoffs. And then who knows what happens from there. And I think if they had Carson Wentz in that Seattle game last year, I think they would have at least been in the divisional round. Um, so I don't really know what this team is going to look like. And if this team is going to lose a couple more games and you start having to tank for the rest of the season. But I, I think the most concerning part is Carson Wentz because, you know, he there, there was always an excuse for him in 2018. He was injured. He, he had back issues that he didn't tell people about. Um, and he fought through them. And that was admirable in some ways, but it, it hurt him and it hurt the team. And last year, he really didn't have many weapons to work with. And I don't think he has many weapons to work with right now. You have an old Deshaun Jackson who had to leave yesterday. Uh, you still don't have Alshon Jeffrey. And who knows how effective he is if he's in. You lost Jalen Um The fact that, you know, what would you say?
2: Goddard got hurt as well. Goddard got hurt. And
1: Goddard, I think, is really just a, such an underrated piece to this team, especially with the fact that, you know, Zach Ertz was getting doubled for nearly the entire game yesterday because they didn't have to worry about another really good dynamic tight end. They just had to worry about him. Um, and they had to go to the rookie high tower for a couple really big plays. Um, but, you know, week one, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't really the the injuries that was you know, forcing him to make those bad throws. And yesterday he had a bad throw to earth. So it was just a bad throw. So I'm worried about his decision-making and I'm worried about what it means going forward. But, you know, I, I'm going to give it a couple more games before I really hit the panic button, because for one, this is an offensive line. That's just atrocious and not what we were used to at the Eagles. And the fact that I, I think Jake Elliott at least has a shot at a 59 yard field goal. If Matt Pryor doesn't commit that penalty yesterday, that's extremely disappointing uh, for a guy who has been, expected to be the next guy up. And, you know, when I was there, I was interviewing him about how he was getting mentored by Brandon Brooks and how he was going to replace Brandon Brooks one day. And he can be a center if he needs to, but he has not played at all. Um, And he wasn't starting against Washington, which is really concerning. Um, So anyway, going back, I just think that this is a team that has a lot of issues that kind of compound into Carson Wentz having trouble of making the right throw, making the right decision. So I don't want to put all the blame on him. Um, but I think it's all time. That, it's it's time that we start putting a little bit more blame on him, and you know, really holding him accountable to making the right decision and making the right throw and throwing the ball away when he needs to, and starting to run earlier if he if he sees a hole. So it's it's tough, and I don't know what the easy solution is for this team.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I just want to you know real real quick weigh in. Um, you yeah, I think that it is a culmination of. A bunch of things, to Wentz. Um, I love Wentz. I'm not trying to defend him until we die here. I think he sh- should be held accountable for some stuff. But real quick, in about a minute, I'm just going to break it down how I see it, and I totally agree with everything that you said. But if you think about it, this receiving core is so unreliable. I mean, you have Deshaun Jackson. He's, he shows up for games. He doesn't even want to play. He pulls himself out. He, he's, he's hurt. He You know, Alshon, he could care less about getting on the field um you know Goddard goes out then Howie Roseman starts you know this stuff with Ertz and and Ertz is up for an extension and he's not thinking about paying him I mean it's just a culmination of Peterson doesn't let him go for it there that just gives Carson the wrong message right away that you don't trust him you draft a quarterback in the second round um you're putting all this pressure on this guy that's unneeded and, and they're really playing unsimplified football if that makes sense I mean Absolutely. They have one of the best up and coming running backs in the backfield in, in Miles Sanders and they have a pretty good catching back uh out in Boston Scott. And they you know, they could drop a bunch of um, you know, passes off to him as well. So again, a culmination of things. Matt Pryor jumping early yesterday just completely screwed the field goal up. I mean, that was that was a head scratcher and, and something that really ticked me off at no end. But I totally agree with you. It's you know, Carson does deserve some accountability, but the Eagles are not helping them out at here and, and Hallie Roseman is really fouling them. But, um, you know, enough of me ranting on, on what's going on with the front office and how they're treating um, Wentz. But, you know, kind of moving into the next question, um, what do you think Doug really needs to, to draw up here or maybe talk with Wentz about, um, of how to turn this game plan around and again, simplify it with the pieces that they have remaining?
1: Yeah, I think simplifies the right word. And first of all, too, I totally disagree with the decision yesterday. Whereas you had two decisions, you could either kick a sixty-four yard field goal, which personally I, I don't think Jake Elliott's going to make, but who knows? It still takes like nine seconds off the clock, and they're at you know their own forty uh, or you know forty-three or whatever. But um, or you could throw, you know, you could run a play to try to get a first down. Um, there's what twenty-five seconds left. Uh, you yeah. could take some time off the clock. Do you really think a rookie quarterback is going to take the ball? They needed, what, 25 more yards to get in field goal range? And he's going to get there and then spike the ball all in 10 seconds? Like, it's just not going to happen. It was really just a head scratcher from a guy who's branded as fearless and, you know, who trusts the analytics. The analytics would absolutely tell you to either kick the field goal or go for it, not punt. That's just giving up. So I was very frustrated with that. Um, but I think simplify really is the right word going forward. I think there were so many times where Carson was being forced to turn and throw the screen pass that wasn't there because the offensive line is just not strong enough to block. We used to be a phenomenal team when it came to screen passes, and you know, th- this is just not a very agile, agile uh, offensive line that's played together very much. When you had guys like Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson who all worked together um, leading the way instead of Nate Herbig or Matt, uh, Matt Pryor, uh, leading the way, then you know it was easier to do those screen passes. And I think there were so many that were just thrown at the wrong time because the timing was off or just you know they weren't there. The blocks weren't there. And it just threw off the rhythm of an entire drive. Um, and I think losing Goddard really hurt things yesterday too, because these kind of slant passes over the middle to Ertz and Goddard um, really help get Carson in the rhythm of hitting somebody in stride and you start moving. And um, I, I think they need to try to get back to more of that, more of these kind of short passes over the middle, trusting Miles Sanders to find some holes, um, not this kind of Chip Kelly-esque overthinking, throw the ball vertically and, you know, hope you can set up blocks. Because it doesn't look like this team, this offensive line specifically, is strong enough and agile enough to set up these blocks, uh, especially when you're, you know, your second tight end yesterday was Richard Rodgers, who it's remarkable mm-hmm. he's still on this team. Um so simplify really is the thing you have to do you trust your rookie wide receivers like Hightower to make a couple plays, you know, throw, throw a couple deep balls. If you see one open, hopefully Rager joins back soon because not having that deep threat is massive. Um, but you really got to trust your tight ends, trust your pass catching backs like Boston Scott and even miles Sanders to an extent, and just try to make the simple plays over the middle. And, and just, I, I can't, I can't deal with these screen games anymore. And it just throws off the entire rhythm.
2: Yeah. Uh, here we'll do one final question. I want to ask you about, basically um you know the eagles obviously have a tough schedule like we alluded to before uh san francisco even though they're banged up still a really good football team pittsburgh really good defense baltimore obviously they're one of the best teams in the league this could get ugly after a little while obviously and then you have later in the season you have that three-game stretch with was it seattle green bay and new orleans Mm -hmm. so it's not getting easy at all um is this kind of set up for one of these years that you know we're bottom in the league, or do you think that Wentz and Doug are be able to figure this out and try to, you know, get the team back on, you know, on a straight and narrow, and maybe you know contend for an NFC championship?
1: I hate this because I'm usually Mister Optimistic and just kind of blind optimism, all they'll figure it out. But I really don't see how they can because they really have one of the toughest schedules in the league. You're going to get a couple wins, hopefully against the Giants. Um, maybe Washington Round Two is a little bit easier, and the Cowboys don't look that great. Um, but basically, and then, you know, you get one game against the Browns, but, you know, I'm saying you get to play the Browns, but, you know, they, they lost to the Bengals arena. You know, they tied the Bengals, but they lost to the Bengals. Uh, and the Browns handled the Bengals. And, you know, you, then you, like you said, it's going to be Seattle and then at Green Bay and then home for New Orleans. Um, and then Arizona too has been a really, really good team it's hard to see this team really getting it together. I think they can steal a win from one good team because, you know, I really still think that Carson and Doug are a really good combination and and Doug can find ways to win games. Um, But it's hard for me to really see this team going on a run with the health issues, with the strength of schedule and just like the lack of originality, it seems like this team has right now and uh, the lack of flow. So, I mean, it's hard to see them doing much better than like a five, nine and one or, 6-9 and 1-1. Also, I hate that there's a 1 at the end. I of the know. Game. It makes it it's worse. annoying. Uh, but, no, that – I mean, I, I really – it's going to be hard to see them doing much better than third or fourth place in this division.
0: So, one last question for you, Graham, from me again, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Great talking some sports with you. If awesome. the Eagles do have a terrible season and they do end up picking in the top 10, I have two questions. First of all, what position do you see them going after to really – Um, build for the future and second question i have for you is who is your super bowl champ at the end of the season
1: oh it's a good one it's hard because, you know, my friend yesterday was saying, like, um, if the Eagles get the number one pick, do you go for Trevor Lawrence? And I was like, no! Like First of all, you have Jalen Hurts if you really are giving up on Wentz, but I would not give on give up on Wentz, so I, I think there's plenty of future there, so I think they're going to either go offensive line because they need to start building there with younger guys who are more reliable, or another wide receiver, I think, or a safety, too. I think that's the other thing. Jalen Mills, I love him a lot. I think he's a great guy, and I think he's done really well at corner, but he does not look good at safety right now, and you lose Malcolm Jenkins, who was this team leader. If you can get a young safety to develop, I think that's great so i either see offensive line safety or another wide receiver can be more reliable not as you know you you have a deep threat hopefully in regular long term but you need someone like a justin jefferson who can really have a big play but also be a strong target um and i'm leaning toward the baltimore ravens i think this is the year they finally put it together especially you know lamar and everyone learning from last year um i think they're going to upset kansas city at the end of the season and this is going to be a really fun game tonight um see how they look early on but i think the ravens are going to be the team
2: all right, well, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, very disappointing for the Phillies and Eagles, but um, I would like to thank you for coming on, and hopefully it gets better in the city. I know it sucks right now, but hopefully we're on the up. So.
1: Yeah, we'll see It we might turn around soon, and the Flyers have a good future too, and the Sixers will have a new coach soon, so we'll see. I'm excited.
2: There you go, and from Mark Rogers and Connor Gabe, again, thanks uh, for Graham Floyd coming on, and we'll see you guys next week.